As a child, Sue Boland's favorite movie was The Wizard of Oz, and she eagerly waited for it to be shown on TV once a year. Little did she know that as an adult, she would spend decades studying the woman, Matilda Jocelyn Gage, who told L. Frank Baum to write down his stories. Sue is the local historian for the Matilda Jocelyn Gage Center in Fayetteville, New York, working with Dr. Sally Roche-Wagner. Sue is a 2017 graduate of the University at Albany with a master's in public history. She has recently had articles about Gage published in New York History Journal and Free Inquiry magazine. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Down the Yellow Brick Pod. Tara and I had the incredible opportunity to sit down over Zoom with the amazing Sue Boland. With the 100-year marker of the ratification to the 19th Amendment for women's right to vote coming up on August 18th, this year, Tara and I were really thinking about what kind of conversation we wanted to have in order to reflect on this day in history, as well as discuss some of the, the stains that have accompanied this marker in U.S. history. We are so grateful to Sue Boland for sharing her wisdom, her research, her work, her thoughts, and we have so much more to learn. We could have talked with Sue for hours. It went on much longer than what we have here in this bonus episode. So if you would like to learn more about Sue, we will provide all of that information in the show notes. Please go check out her incredible work. Say hi. And thank you so much again for listening and joining us here on Down the Yellow Brick Pod. down the yellow brick pod it's tara and mk and we have a special guest with us today sue boland we're so happy to have you here sue thank you i'm so excited to be here so a little bit about why we asked sue to jump on our podcast is because i can't recall a time i've ever celebrated august 18th for being the day that it was ratified, the 19th Amendment was ratified for women having the right to vote. And this is even more special because it's been 100 years, which is actually not that much time. I keep thinking my great-grandmothers no. wouldn't have been able to have voted at age 18. They would have had to wait a little bit. And that's not that far removed. I met those women. That's not that far removed wow. from my life. Yeah. Um, so that is an insane thing to think about it in that... Brain, And I also did a little research, which I don't think I've ever done. I can't really recall learning much about this in school, um, that the amendment was proposed in 1878. I was like, what took so long? That's <laughs> horrifying. That took so freaking long. Um, but we're here to celebrate that today, to take a moment and pause. And what is really cool is there's an Oz connection in this world. We're here to talk about L. Frank Baum's mother-in-law, Matilda Jocelyn Gage, who has a, who is just she's hashtag goals like across yes. the board and she has a quote that I love that she said I was born with a hatred of oppression I freaking yeah. love that so just a little backstory about Matilda Jocelyn Gage before we turn it over to Sue and learn the real tea about her <laughs> she 
Lived from 1826 to 1898, she was an OG woman suffragist, a Native American rights activist, an abolitionist who was actually arrested for housing um, enslaved people on the Underground Railroad. Her house was a stop. She was a known free thinker and an author. So, oh my goodness. I just want to know more. I, I already bought a book on her. I can't wait to learn more. So... Sue, would you mind telling us a little bit about who Matilda Jocelyn Gage is, her, the legacy she's left behind, and why you are so drawn to her work? Well, um, she um, spent a lot of time with Frank Baum and uh, her daughter Maud, who Frank married. And um, they married in 1882, and um, Matilda's husband, Henry, um, who I think is uh, similar to Henry in The Wizard of Oz, um, died in 84. And after that point, she spent all of her winters with Maud and Frank, and they also spent a lot of time at her place in Fayetteville. Um, she even went out to South Dakota to spend the winter with them. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Which has, they have like the worst winters anywhere. So, um as I'm sure you know, before we had radio and TV and the internet, you know, um, people would, especially these folks, because they were trying to save money, so they would only heat one room in the wintertime, and they would sit together in this room with the children, and they would read the newspapers and read the same books, and they would discuss them. And so she was really um, quite an intellectual influence on him. And all of her biographers, including Mike, Michael Patrick Hearn, who is the expert on all things Oz and L. Frank Baum, um, you know, agrees that she was an intellectual influence on him um, in terms of ideas. And so, um, you know, the critical part, the most important thing, I think, is that she would hear him telling stories to the kids, and it was Gage, who was a published author herself, who said to him repeatedly, and lots of different members of the family have said this, she would tell him, Frank, you've got to write those stories down. So if it wasn't for her, we might not even have The Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. um, and the other connection for the, um, for the Gage home, which has been restored and converted to a museum, is that it's the only house open to the public where L. Frank Baum spent a, quite a bit of time. So um, it's, you know, be, because of that, there's a certain responsibility to tell his story and the story of their relationship and their connection, um, you know, and uh, how their work, you know, influences each other. So. Wow. And what drew you to her specifically? Was it through Oz as well. It was partly through Oz because I love the movie so much, like most people who are in the Oz group. Um, I um, it, it just felt so right when when I learned about her and I lived very close to the Gage home. Um, so it was literally almost in my backyard. And um, I saw Sally Roche Wagner perform as Matilda Jocelyn Gage, which she used to do all the time, and um, it just blew me away. And I, and and part of it was just the um, the injustice of her being written out of history, and and 
saying, you know what, that's not fair. We got to do something (laughs) about that, you know? Yes. Can you tell us more about that? Because that's what struck me the most is I could rattle off Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, but her being written out of history, why do you think that erasing happened? Well, the short answer um, is that she was very radical in the worst possible way because she blamed the Christian church combined with the government for the oppression of women throughout the centuries, Um, basically since the start of Christianity. And so she spent years researching this and um, put it all together in one book called Woman, Church, and State, which was published in 1893 and still on the market and also available um, for free on the internet. And um, just as an example, one quote is um, where she says, in the name of religion, the worst crimes against humanity have ever been perpetrated. And so, um, you know, most of the women in the suffrage movement were Christians. I mean, this was a Christian nation in the 19th century. And the, the greatest opponents to women's suffrage and women's rights were conservative religious people, especially ministers, and uh, right from the very beginning. Um, And so, you know, and that was still going on in the, you know, well into the 20th century. And so the movement had to distance themselves from radicalism and women like Matilda Joslyn Gage in order to cultivate an image of being safe to give the vote to. And this is where a lot of the classism and racism and xenophobia in the movement comes from, because people that voted on suffrage legislation were men. <laughs> they they had the vote and they determined who else was going to get the vote. And they were concerned about relinquishing some of their power by allowing women to vote, but not knowing what women were going to do with the vote. Um, Now, as it turns out, they didn't really do much that was different from men. I think studies have have shown that. But at the time, they just didn't know, you know, this was a sizable amount of um, people that would be joining the the voting ranks. And they just didn't know what that was going to do to the power dynamic. It's all about staying in power. So... um, and so they, you know, the the more conservative the image, the, the 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 better they thought it would be for them to get the vote. Right. So getting the right to vote was one of her causes. Can you name, rattle off a few of the other causes she was so passionately involved in and speaking up against? Well, you mentioned a couple. She she um, wrote about the Haudenosaunee, the, the indigenous people of New York State. Um, and she advocated for Native um, sovereignty. She worked in, um, she grew up in an anti-slavery household, and she and her husband were on the Underground Railroad. Um, she um, was uh, really big in the free thought movement, which was um, sort of like a religious freedom movement. And um, she got more radical as she got older, and so near the end of her life, she um, started working more for re, uh, separation of church and state. Um, 
because that was a that was a very real problem then and um she she believed that if if there was if there was too much religion in government that that was going to affect voting rights and you know if there if it got to the point that there were moral or ethical qualifications for voting that it just wouldn't even matter if women could vote or not it was just you know she just wanted to um you know, make sure that it stayed a civil right and was not mixed up with religion at all. And that's the short answer. It gets a lot more complicated. Um, but that's, you know, unless you want to be here for two hours, that's <laughs> that's sort of the short answer for that. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I mean, it's just also crazy to me that the word radical is associated with just wanting equality for everybody. <laughs> right. It's right. just abs- it's absurd because it's still seen that way. We're still yeah. looking at the same vocabulary happening in our political spheres right now. Speaking of vocabulary, I want to touch on the word suffrage itself, since I know this word has been kind of rung through some stains in history as being a a word that is mostly associated with white women um, and not an intersectional feminism, feminism that saw women of all colors to come on in and also have different kinds of rights be met within this. I was doing a little bit of research just around women of color at that time and them and a lot of women of color feeling like they had to create their own groups and redefine the word for themselves because they yeah. were fighting for the 15th amendment as well as the 19th amendment and also feeling right. feeling left out from both groups, black men um, feeling left out from black men and feeling left out from white women. So what do you feel about the relevance of this word right now, the complications in it? Should we find a new word? Does it still have meaning or is it an archaic word that we should hold to the past? Well, it's it's supposed to be a neutral term. It just means the right to vote. So, um, you know, in the 19th century, they talked about property suffrage, black suffrage, universal suffrage, which is really the goal. Um, or educated suffrage, which people like Stanton um, proposed. I don't think Gage was ever on that bandwagon, but um, that was sort of an elitist thing, educated suffrage. Um, but yes, it can, you know, because it became synonymous with white woman suffrage, um, it, it was a problem and, and I guess still is a problem. You know, there's always still some type of suffrage that um, is under attack from people that want to suppress the vote to to um, influence election outcomes. So um, we're still working for universal adult suffrage um, for everybody, whether that means by mail or you know, or by having an accessible polling place that which is near your home where you don't have to stand in line for hours. Um, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, that's, it, it is, it is tough because, you know, you want to acknowledge the painful part of the history. Um, but if the word causes pain, then, then maybe it is a time to, um, find another word. But, um, I mean, I'm just, I spend so much time in the 19th century <laughs> that, it's always gonna it's always i'm I would have a terrible time trying to replace it 
Um, but you know, but like you said, language is important. And I learned that a lot, um, working with Sally Roche Wagner at the Gage home, because we did a lot with, um, how to say things and how to, um, phrase things like, um, you know, fugitive slaves was not, is not a good term. We would use freedom takers or, um, freedom seekers some people use or enslaved people or something like that so um so yeah if someone comes up with a good substitute um i myself i i have chosen to not call um august 26 the 100th anniversary of the right to vote because a lot of women didn't get the right to vote they had to fight much longer until 1965 when the civil rights act was passed so um and I also try not to use the word celebration, but I think we can still commemorate it as the passing of the 19th Amendment because it did, it, you know, it was far from perfect, but it did really enlarge the electorate considerably. So, yeah, that's a, you know, it's a tough question that we probably need to still have a conversation about. I love how you framed, I I mean, I just learned language-wise, because mm-hmm. I may have used the word celebration. I'm like, right, it wasn't for everyone yet. Um, it's And we are still seeing issues um, with people feeling like they can vote. I mean, right now, that's all people are talking about yeah. with the USPS right, right. and mail-in ballots and all of this mm-hmm. is um, causing quite <laughs> the controversies right now yes. in America. But I love the term universal suffrage, too. I think even just adding that word in front of it, it takes away, I think, a shade of this word that is a little bit more, oh, that only worked for some people. Mm-hmm. That wasn't that wasn't for everyone. So I think that is important. I'm going to now start adding commemorate yeah. and universal into my language. So thank you for that, Sue. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. This is why I love these conversations. And I love that Oz has... Like, let us hear. Yeah. It's amazing. So speaking of Oz, um, where do you feel like Matilda in the book, in the works, in the world of Oz, where do you feel like she sneakily pops up? Or where do you really strongly see that influence, whether it be in characters or in how he writes? Tell us more, Sue. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, actually, Sally Roche Wagner wrote a, a great little booklet about this called The Mother of Oz, which is available through the Gage Center um, website shop. So, um, and it talks a lot about the family connections and everything. Mm -hmm. But, um, um, you know, it it was really a reciprocal relationship. She introduced him to a lot of ideas like theosophy, probably being the biggest one. And, um, um, you know, and, and, and in return, he created um, what has been called a feminist utopia because it's just so, you know, um, such a great place for women and girls. And um, the three central figures of the Oz books are Dorothy, Ozma, and Glinda, which if people have only read the first one, then they missed out on Ozma. <laughs> um, and also, and Glinda also becomes more of a character after the first book too. Probably Angelica Shirley Carpenter is the expert on how it fits into children's literature and how it changed how girls were depicted, um, you know, in the great American fairy tale or, you know, but it's just, um, there's so many different, um, 
really interesting little things that pop up in the different books. And um, what I want to do someday, it's, you know, on my bucket list, is is read more of his other works, like the Aunt Jean series and stuff like that, and try to, you know, see what little connections there might be there. But... Um, but I think I think the I think the biggest thing um, is that you know a lot of people ask me or have asked me is the Wizard of Oz a religious book and um, I know I get get all sorts of different questions when you're a docent you get all sorts of different questions <laughs> and um, and I don't think it is but um, I can see how they might get that idea because they sort of see. Glinda as being, um, you know, maybe an authority figure, which she really isn't. Um, I mean, she kind of is, but she's more of a helper um, for the people of Oz. And so, um, you know, part of what Matilda Joslyn Gage did when she was starting to critique organized religion, and particularly Christianity, because that was the main um, religion of the United States, um, she would tell women and girls, you know, you are a revelation to yourself. You don't need to go to a book or to some authority figure for divine revelation. Every girl has within herself um, a revelation from her creator, and so um, the basic message of that is, you know, we just need to look within ourselves for whatever we need. And isn't that the message of The Wizard of Oz, basically? A hundred percent. I always think of her now, since we did our reread with a little bit more knowledge of Matilda Jocelyn Gage through Finding Dorothy may have been our gateway drug to for her. Sure. Yes. Oh, Yeah. That's a great book. I love that great book. Great book. So good. We keep bringing it up. Loved it. We'll probably talk about it in a full episode. We <laughs> full really love episode, it. Full episode, yes. And then I did the real Wizard of Oz as well after that, because that was recommended in Elizabeth Lett's resources. So I read that. So she was in my periphery for this reread that we did. And now I can't look at The Good Witch of the North without feeling like that's Matilda. Like the kiss that is on yes. her forehead throughout this, like supernatural protection that she has that we just trust that Dorothy's never going to really be harmed. It just, that feels so beautiful. Some, some performances of the play or musical on stage, you know, how, where they have, and they did this partly in the movie too, where um, the field hands were portraying the Tin Man and the Scarecrow and the Cowardly Lion. Um, some, productions, not all of them, but some of them will have Aunt M be the same actress that plays Glinda, which is a, which is great because then Glinda becomes an older woman, which I think is also very symbolic and, and wonderful. And of course, Billy Burke was like in her 50s when she played <laughs> Glinda. Um, and I do think that's very appropriate. I do think that um, she was sort of... I think Frank was trying to say something and obviously you never really know with an author and unless they write it down and say, this is why I made the character Glinda. Um, you never really know where they're getting their ideas from. And obviously people have picked apart the Oz books and 
you know, said the Emerald City is from here and there and the Yellow Brick Road is from, you know, um, used to be from somewhere else, but then they found Yellow Bricks in Chittenango, so <laughs> that it was from Chittenango again. Um, and, um, you know, he did a lot with words and sounds. And um, another um, historian, Kathy DeShenna, she uh, pointed out to me um, that if you take the G from Gage, the Lynn from Joslyn, and the Ma from Matilda, you have Glinda. Now, mm. you know, who knows if that's just a coincidence or what, but he did use um, Auntie M and Henry, which we believe the M is for Matilda and Henry. Um, you know, and he, their personalities are very much like Matilda and Henry. Um, he, you know, uh, there was a niece in the family. Um, this was another thing that Sally discovered in her research. There was a niece in the family named Dorothy Gage who had died. Um, and um, Maud was just distraught because she, you know, had four sons and always wanted a daughter. Um, and um, Gage became Gail. And it was, you know, Dorothy Gale. So, um, you know, there's all sorts of little things like that. Yeah. In, in, Very close. <laughs> in a lot of, in, you know, in a lot of the, the, the different books. So, you know, personally, I think, I think um, Glinda is supposed to be um, Matilda Jocelyn Gage. I love it. Oh, yes. I love what you were talking about, too, with the religious text, because, like, we're treating it like a sacred spiritual text, (laughs) which is really fun. But then I remember this book was banned quite a lot and still might be banned at certain libraries, which that is so interesting, too. And I feel like that's on par with Matilda's um, literature as well. Woman, Church and State was banned, definitely. Um, It was blacklisted by... um, Anthony Comstock, who was quite famous at the time for um, rooting out pornography, especially in the U.S. mail, because then it was a federal offense. And, um, you know, like birth control methods and stuff like that, he considered pornography. He banned the book. Uh, Actually, a priest sent it to him and said, take a look at this. And he banned it because he said it was filled with tales of lust. Well, and that it, it should not go into children's school libraries and you know as a mother I you know okay yeah you don't want tales of lust to be in the school library but that sort of thinking is always used to keep things um, knowledge from children that they need to protect themselves and that's what she was writing about she was writing about abuse of girls from men um, and a big thing in the 19th century was the age of consent, which in some states it kept getting lowered and then they would, you know, fight it and get it raised again. And it was just horrible. I mean, um, and fathers could legally, you know, put their daughters out for prostitution or whatever. So, um, and, you know, and there was, you know, um, there was female, you know, trafficking and stuff like that. Um, and, and she writes about those things. And, um, one of the most amazing things is that, cause she studied the, you know, the Catholic church, which was the only church for a long time. Um, and, um, 
she writes about the abuse of both girls and boys and women by Catholic priests after celibacy was started. And, um, you know, I re- I learned about that, like, in the 1990s. I've been studying Gage for a long, long time. And um, I remember when the first reports of priest abuse came out in, you know, in the 90s. And it was a huge, huge thing. And my mother-in-law, who is Catholic, like, didn't want to talk about it at all. Didn't want to hear a word about it. And, you know, and Gage is writing about this and having it published in 1893, People didn't want to know. They just didn't, they just wanted to avoid um, these topics of sexual abuse and and physical abuse and things like that. And so, um, you know, but she, she had the courage to, to write about it and um, talk about it. And um, that was one of the big reasons why it got banned. Wow. Wow. God, I just love her. She is bomb. Gloria Steinem calls her the woman who was ahead of the women who were ahead of their time. Wow. Yeah, that feels right. That is incredible. I just looked up. I it's just so crazy. I feel like she was talking about stuff that is still so relevant and still. Yes, absolutely. Glaringly obvious, obviously happening Mm -hmm. that. We still choose to um, protect the perpetrators for whatever reason. I was just, you made me think of this documentary that murdered my soul, um, The the Keepers, which is all on um, a Catholic sex scandal happening in a specific parish, I believe in uh, outside of Baltimore area, um, and a nun that was murdered. There's like a whole thing that is around it, but like it all, it's just, it, it's still happening. Like the, in the church protects it. Um, man, like what needs to happen for people to really like, yeah, to really make some change happen. It's just insane. But people like Matilda just really get my fire going. Yeah. So that makes me want to ask you, like, what do you want people to leave with? Like want craving about Matilda after this conversation, what do you want them to know? Or where do you want them to turn in her honor? Well, (laughs) I mean, obviously, you know, anything to do with um, protecting people's rights and voting rights and civil rights and, um, you know, separation of church and state, all of that kind of stuff. um, You know, she would be active in that and she would want people to do that. Um, What I wish people knew about her is constantly changing depending on what I'm working on. And so um, my latest pet peeve, because I was, um, my last article for the Free Inquiry magazine for their August issue about the suffrage movement, um, I look back at Matilda's first um, uh, women's rights convention, which just happened to be in Syracuse in 1852. And it's a notable convention because Antoinette Brown, who later became Antoinette Brown Blackwell, and became a very, she was the first minister, woman minister ordained in the United States. She goes into an argument with the the wonderful Ernestine Rose, who was an atheist long before that was accepted by society. And they're arguing about the authority of the Bible, and Lucretia Mott gets involved, and of course everyone loves her, and, and um, I think it really had an influence on on Gage, 
and um, as a young woman, and um, and that's why later on, you know, she, I think it, it takes a while. She there's an ev- process of evolution there that you can see in her work, um, but she changes from a, a member of the Baptist Church who was raised in a religious home to being this crusader against the church, um, and so. Um, what I what, what really bugs me right now is that um, there are lots of histories of the suffrage movement that don't talk about the role of religion and how it was used against women, and so um, yeah. and um, and and there's a there's a new one that came out for the anniversary that from a prominent historian who I will not ma- name, but she's very widely regarded. And I'm, I'm reading this book and there's like nothing about religion in here. And I'm like, how can you even do this? Um, so because, you know, first of all, it's just not true. So it's not good history. But secondly, if you don't know the role of religion, you, you're not going to know the role of um religion oppressing women in the United States and in our own lives still today. And also, um, you're not going to see Gage's importance as a feminist theorist. You still might know her role in the suffrage movement. But um, this is one of the reasons why she's not appreciated as much as she should be. Um, because because people just want to see it as a strictly political um movement to get the vote and they're just ignoring how important religion was in in the 19th century yeah wow i i think one of the biggest things oz has been giving us spiritually as well as historically because we keep doing these deep dives with different people different um markers and time that oz has um cause and effect with is oh my god i just lost my train of thought oh this is what it was um that everything is gray. There's so much more complexities and complications to all peop- every person, every issue, every place. And why are we so afraid to talk about that? Mm-hmm. Why does everything need to have an answer or a period on it? I'm like, let's all just be more open with ellipses yeah. <laughs> from now right, on. Like, right. it's okay if we don't have answers. But yes, I think that's so important that... I think moving forward, and this is what I want to ask you, your opinion about moving forward is that we can't leave out the parts of history that don't fit into our picture mm-hmm. um, of like, but that was a good person. Right. And it's like, Oh, you know what? Like, I think there are really great people who, who have done really awful things. And that's just, I think a part of being human. Mm-hmm. And if we can maybe know how to hold that as opposed to um, it's either you're one or the other. Yeah. So what do you feel Matilda would be so entangled or entrenched in today that she would be showing up for (laughs) or speaking up against? Oh, well, definitely, you know, Black Lives Matter. Um, Although I wouldn't I wouldn't say that in the 19th century that she was the most anti-racism crusader. But um, I think she would have evolved to um, see the importance of that movement. you know, I mean, really anything. I mean, she she was she was such a um, intellectually curious person about so many different things, which makes it such a challenge to get to know her work. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because she writes about so many different um, things from from science to philosophy yeah. and, you know, history. Um, so, um, so yeah, and, and you know, and we always want to make, people always want to make history such a simple story. Um, and it, it, it really um, goes against the complexity, especially of this particular movement, because it took 72 years. It was such a long movement that you have all these generations of women. Um, and the, the, the movement was changing as the women were changing, as the country was changing. So, you, you know, whenever you cite a story or a quote or pull something out of the history, you always have to know where it happened, who it happened, what year it happened, where they were in their progression. Um, Because even at Seneca Falls, I didn't even realize this until I went back and looked at the Declaration of Sentiments. Um, They take a very conservative religious um, attitude towards... um, um, towards, you know, Christian beliefs about the rights of women. And um, they simply say, well, the Bible has been misinterpreted, um, which is what the later, you know, more conservative wing in the movement um, always said. And, um, you know, and and Stanton, like Gage, you know, was raised in the church, and it it took time before they became the radical women that they became. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's complex and you always have to know that context and that background. And, um, one of my other pet peeves is when, (laughs) you know, a lot of people think that they can just, you know, research something and write women's history. And it's like, you're really doing a disservice to (laughs) historians, most of whom are women when, when you're talking about women's history. So it's like, yeah, respect the historians (laughs) and, you know, buy their books and and whatnot. Go listen, go listen to Sally Roche Wagner. Yes. Yes. We are huge fans of Sally. Um, We've heard lots of great things about her through John Fricky and then just getting to watch her at the two Oz convention, just stroll around Matilda Gage's home. Like, I, I was like, this woman needs to be my best friend. So much knowledge. That's all. Oh, you gotta, yeah, you gotta visit the home in person. It's just such mm-hmm. a, I mean, I spent so many hours there, but yeah, I spent so much time with Sally. And even after I became like the head docent and was basically yeah. going around doing local talks for her because she was, for a while there, she was traveling all over the country. And so someone needed to do some of the central New York things. Um, I would still, if she was in the area, I would still go listen to her because it was just, she just had such a storytelling ability and a way of putting things that I was like, I I can keep learning from her, (laughs) still learning from her. Wow. We, we all need those people that we could keep learning from. And I also loved the awareness you just gave us with, like it takes time. It takes time for a lot of people to evolve and to also right, right. 
not that we need to, we need to push and we need to fight for what we believe in, but also know that human beings can change just sometimes sure. not on your timeline of wanting time. it. Yeah. It can't, they can change, especially anyone coming from maybe a more conservative, the opposite of radical yeah. background. And you just made me also think about Maud around a hundred years ago to this day, what she was maybe feeling for her mother's work since Matilda didn't get to witness a lot of what she fought for, even any like snippet of it, really start to happen. Um, where it's pretty normal now for a woman to be outspoken, thank God. Um, but we still have a lot of fighting to do. Still have to fight for equal pay. That's still not happening. Still need to learn how to make a true intersection so all women of all colors can mm-hmm. feel seen. Um, that we're sharing the fight. Mm-hmm. It just makes me think about Maude at this time of, like, what she must have felt. Because I know their their relationship was really beautiful as well. They had a, yes. they had a fiery connection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they spent, you know, they spent a lot of time together um, when they were in the same household. And, um, you know, Maude almost died after the birth of her second child. Yes. And she, she was at her mother's house and um, for a long time. Um and that, you know, that that can be a bo- very bonding situation. You know, Matilda Jocelyn Gage was, you know, one of the busiest times of her life was when she was not just a working mother, but a working grandmother. And she had, you know, grandchildren and daughters and in-laws, you know, staying in this house. Or she was at their house and, you know... Um, they just shared a lot more than, you know, people you normally do today. Um, and she made the effort, you know, she took the train out to South Dakota, um, wow. you know, yeah. to see them and spend time with them. And, um, yeah, but yet so she hung weird. on to that house in Fayetteville, which of course we're so grateful that she did. Yeah. It's like a sanctuary now. Well, it's also, that's amazing to this thing. This is a great place to end too. She was such a family person. And she still had this fight that she didn't let up on. And I think we're all learning in a different way right now how to still keep our own self tanks filled, our own family um, feel like we're serving that and also speaking up and learning how to do that in ways that actually affect change mm-hmm. and she's I think in it I want more people to know about her so yeah. Sue thank you so much for thank coming you. on and sharing your gorgeous oh, brain and spirit this was so awesome learned so much thank you so much Sue for your time oh anytime